out of the Old Testament a lot. That can be a lot of harsh words, it seems, that God sent to His people from His prophets. And Isaiah, God chose Isaiah to speak for him for a very specific reason. And that first verse, I'm always like, why would, why would God put that in there? For one thing, it shows us that Isaiah just wasn't a flash in the pan. He served under four kings. And historically, we can place him for about 59 years he served as a prophet in Jerusalem, in Judea. And what that kind of shows me is that God really isn't that interested in our short-term successes. Many of God's plans and purposes are based on an outcome that might be years, decades, or even a millennia away from coming to fruition. The story of Isaiah shows me that God plays the long game. And if you're a golfer, that's not, I'm not talking about how he drives the ball far, but how, again, his purpose and his plan is long ways off. Oftentimes, we have no idea because our time, we view time much differently than God views time. Now a reason, maybe the reason that God chose Isaiah to speak out to his people because they were abusing the system of sacrifice, the sacrificial system, the Mosaic law. God had given the Hebrew people this system of sacrifice so that their sins could be forgiven. Sacrifices were one of the most visual Old Testament observances that they practiced. And although God had ordered them to be performed, what he's saying here in these verses, of, of these verses from Isaiah is that without obedience that comes from the heart, God considers those sacrifices worthless. That's what God is saying. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord. Then he continues to bring his objections Stop bringing, bringing meaningless offerings. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. It's kind of scary to hear God say that to his people. But the reason Isaiah spoke these words is that God's people had abandoned true worship. And instead they chose to rebel against God and His plan and purpose. While the people continued to go through the religious rituals, religious practices, God was burdened by the weight of their worthless worship. They weren't taking care of the people who needed taking care of. In that culture and time, if a woman lost her husband, she was in serious trouble. She had no rights. She would often have no source of income. They depended on the community to take care of the widows and the orphans. He doesn't want his people, he doesn't want even us, to just tediously obey his rules out of some blind obligation. Well, this is what God's word says we should do, so we're going to do it. God's priority is always the heart of his people. And not just 
their outward actions. And it makes me think, so how does God look at our churches today? You know, we're people of the New Covenant, the New Testament. We don't have to make, praise you Lord, we don't have to make blood sacrifices to atone for our sins. Our sins are covered by the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus Christ. However, we still give our offerings. We still gather as a body weekly on Sunday mornings for us. We pray. So we do many similar things in the New Testament church that the Old Testament church did. Is there a reason, any reason for God to be upset with churches today? Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Now there, very specifically, God was calling out the people in Jerusalem and Judea, comparing them to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, which in Genesis they would know that's not a compliment. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah were wicked, they did vile acts, and God called destruction upon them because of this. Because of the people they were, God destroyed them. So this reference to Sodom and Gomorrah, that would have really hurt those people listening in Jerusalem. They would have known. That's not a, a positive thing to be compared to them. So it made me think, when we hear of a, a story about the Christian church or Christianity or a pastor in the news... What if I always look at it as not from my view, although my view is, you know, important to me, but what about someone outside the faith? When they hear a news story about the church, about sexual abuse, about money being embezzled, about denominations splitting up and dividing over differences, of wealthy pastors with mansions and private jets, this was just within the last few weeks a pastor in Brooklyn was robbed at gunpoint him and his wife of over a million dollars in jewelry at their Sunday service that's not going to happen here uh, they might, they might, maybe, a, maybe a couple hundred bucks I don't know but, and that's me and Daphne together but what do people think when they hear this news I think and then we have some Christians that think they have to give voice for causes. And I think what happens is we become known, we as Christians, I'll say, more for what we say we're against than what we're actually for. In reading Isaiah, I suspect that we're not that much different from those people. And no matter what part of God's Word I read, I always can see the similarities. Technology is much different, culture is different, but people are basically the same. The people that Isaiah spoke to, they were trusting in cheap grace. I'm going to make my sacrifices. I'm going to make my offerings that I'm required to do. And then I'm going to be good with God. I can do what I want the rest of the time. How many parts of our own Christian culture seem to be relying on cheap grace themselves. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. I'm forgiven. I can do what I want. 
And if you remember one thing from my message today, please remember that cheap grace is not God's grace. Lutheran pastor and martyr, one of my favorite uh, people of faith that I love reading is Dietrich Bonhoeffer and the quote I have in our bulletins today. He wrote that cheap grace is the grace we bestow upon ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. And when we hear church discipline, we, oh, that's bad, but it's actually good. It's discipling us to become more like Christ, correcting us to become more like Christ. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Again, discipleship is how we're becoming more like Christ throughout our faith and our life. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ. Living and incarnate. God offers his grace so people have a choice. The grace of God is not dependent on anything that we do. But God's grace allows us to have a choice. And as I was reading through the scripture, I looked at these words that stood out, these action words that Isaiah used to illustrate God's grace. Hear, listen, stop, learn. Hear the word of the Lord. Listen to the instruction of God. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Again, with grace, God is offering a choice. God's not going to force anyone to follow his path and his plan. Instead, God offers us, offers us through free will a decision. We make our own decisions. But decisions have consequences. Verse 18 says, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. And when I was looking at the original language, the phrase that's used here, let us settle the matter, in the original language, it much more closely means to reason together. And some translations actually use, come, let us reason together. God's grace is what allows us to find out when we stray from God's will, his plan and his purpose. But then God approaches us. This is from the voice translation, that same verse. Come now, let's walk and talk. Let's work this out. Your wrongdoings are blood red, but they can turn as white as snow. Your sins are red like crimson, but they can be made clean again like new wool. Let's work this out. Let's walk and talk about it. God is a relational God. He wants to hear from us. We're offered a path to know and follow God's plan and purpose in our lives. God's not going to force anyone into following his plan and his path. Because through his grace, he offers a choice. But again, Choices can have consequences. 
the last verses say, if you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. And Jerusalem did get devoured by the sword, we know from our history. If we're willing, God offers us a guide to help us. Here, listen, stop, learn. The first one is to hear. Hear the word of the Lord. How do you hear the word of the Lord? I know for many of us, we gathered on Sunday morning. When I was sitting in the pews, that's one of the reasons I wanted to come. I wanted to come hear the word of the Lord. You know, hearing the word of the Lord is important for our faith. It's how we come to faith often. It's how our faith grows. And Paul reminds us of that in Romans 10, 17. Paul wrote, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message, the message is heard through the word about Christ. How did you hear God's message in that verse? We need a plan to hear God's word. So it can speak into our lives. And when I'm making plans, I always say, any plan is better than no plan. So what's your plan to hear the word of the Lord? We hear God's word so we can listen and listen to what? Listen to the instruction of our God. This here, the Bible, God's word, has been given to help us. It's meant to help us in our faith. Paul, again, this time in 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture, all of this here, is God's breath. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Did you hear God's message in that verse? Were you listening? What scripture are useful for? Teaching. Rebuking. Correcting. And training in righteousness. And if the next verse continues on in 17. It says, so that the people of God will be equipped. We as intelligent beings, most of us like to learn. We like to learn new games. We don't mind being taught something new often. I like to read a lot of things, so I'm challenged to learn new things and question how they relate to my faith. Now, about being corrected, being rebuked, ouch, that can hurt. When you're being criticized, when you're told you're wrong, that's not a lot of fun. It hurts our egos and our pride. But when God shows us that something we're doing is not in line with his plan and purpose, he has the reason for correcting and rebuking us. And what is that? We're being trained in righteousness. So when we hear from God that we need to change something, what's the next step? We stop. The verse says stop doing wrong. 
But I say after hearing stop, we just need to stop. God tells us to stop something, we need to stop and say, okay, why? Why is God telling me this? Sometimes stopping means we have to meditate on God's word of what he's showing to us or telling us. If we don't have a complete understanding, or maybe we want to hear it verified by another person of God, we, we seek godly counsel. A family or a church family, someone we know is a believer that will help guide us. And we, God shows us something we need to change. We ask for forgiveness and offer to turn away from it. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. You know, God plays the long game. Knowing how plans and purpose will come to fruition. When and where and how God wants them to. We just have to remain confident of God's plan and God's purpose. Just because we don't see it or feel it, actually every action we take when we're following God's will helps to bring about God's plan and purpose. Every time we pray, every time we lift people up, situations, we lift them up to the Lord. We're advancing God's plan and God's purpose. Every time we reach out to help people in any way, the kingdom of God advances. When God shows us something that we need to change, it's done because God loves us and He knows what's best for us in the long-range planning. Each and every time we call out with a repentant heart, God's grace flows over us, our lives, and we're renewed for God's plan and God's purpose. May you always hear what God is saying. May your ears always be open, listening for God's instructions. May your hearts always be open for repentance. May we continually learn to do right and seek justice in our world. Amen.